to head on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome back to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand and today I have Mr. Logan Stump with me as always. How's it going? I'm in pain, but I'm, I'm pushing through. Uh, don't know what I did. I think I'm just getting old to the point where I pull a muscle while I sleep. Is that the point that's, I think I'm Yeah, that's painful. Ouch. <laughs> Good so Lord. I don't know what else it would have been. Uh, so I, I just I felt fine going to bed. Woke up in pain. So it must have been the way I slept or something. But other than that, uh, we have some rumors here actually about Terry on Ray potentially going to Bournemouth as uh, their new manager. And uh, according to like Sam Stayskull and. Uh, uh, a few others that are in the know that Montreal has not been told anything officially. Um, but it's never really good when you have these rumors going around and the players are speculating on apps as I think, uh, was it Bogart or who was it uh, said that, um, that players were doing that. So, Oh no, it, that was uh Christian Jack, I think, uh, who usually covers yeah, a lot of the Canadian yeah. teams. So uh, not usually really good when that happens, but uh I'll I'll say my piece here. He Terry Henry wasn't really good at Monaco. He did okay with Montreal. Um, you can't pin everything on him because just the franchise as a whole is in a bad spot. But I don't think this is a good hiring for Bournemouth uh, either. I, I don't think he'll succeed over there. Uh, and if he does leave this close to the season, I know they still have two months. It's going to put a lot of pressure on Montreal to find a new manager pretty quickly here. Yeah, I don't understand. I, I, and he's still under contract, so I know it said that they, that he would have to go into negotiation with Montreal to, to figure out what his options are and how he breaks that contract to move on um, to Bournemouth, which, you know, I, going straight into championship from MLS. And, uh, you know, I, I think Brendan Rodgers probably does – uh, that same kind of route where he's kind of jumped in. Um, who is it now that – isn't there somebody – is it a Liverpool? Uh, is it – Steven Gerrard's Gerard not there. Rangers. Is it? Yeah, he that's what Rangers he's doing. Rangers in right. uh, Scotland, yeah. So, you know, I think maybe a jump like that, but directly into the championship. And I think they're actually pretty decent to where they would be making a chase at that, you know, uh, the promotional spot. Um, anytime I've watched Henri 
coaching. Uh, just <laughs> one, he looks like a dad that wandered out onto the field, just like Klopp. He wears the sweatpants and he's got the hat on on um, all the clips that I always see. But he just looks more cheerleader. And I know he's a great player. He's, he's one of the best. But, um, yeah, but I agree with you. I don't, I don't see how this ends well for him. Just, just ask Frank. <laughs> yeah, especially when we have uh, Pirlo right now struggling at Juve uh, right. today. So some, uh, not a great time for the recent class of just retired players becoming managers. I mean, Andre's been – retired for a bit now but i've got a question sometimes it just sometimes it just doesn't you know translate to management you know sometimes players are just good players i got a question for you do you think uh, now that i think about it do you think that these legends i mean people that are gods in these leagues do you think that that's something to do with it because i mean you don't have like these world-class players becoming successful in, in a lot of these sports like i know jordan um not you michael jordan um my namesake, though. Yeah, yeah right. Named after him, yeah. Right. So, you know, him owning the Bobcats and the Hornets, that's not gone well. Uh, Beckham, you know, Inter Miami's still kind of just there. Um, Steve Nash is coaching, but it's, you know, he's got a lot of talent. Uh, it, you just think that some of these big legends from different sports, just maybe because they were just so special themselves, they have a hard time coaching other players. <laughs> like, is that, I, I, is, that hard, or is that harsh? I don't know. what. Well, I think what's funny is a lot of these players that you see that become good managers are usually the players that didn't become anything. Uh, right. Pep, Backups. Uh, not, I mean, like Pep was a good player, yeah. but he wasn't, I don't think at the level that some of these other players are that go into management. Uh, then you have uh, Klopp. He wasn't a big player. Uh, but he played a briefly. lot of, it seems like a lot of backups or people that had time that they spent on the bench watching, watching and learning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a key part. I think, I don't know. Did I think uh, there's been a lot of players that have kind of played like that where uh, a lot of coaches where they've had some background in, in, in playing, but never really like the superstars. I mean, the closest you could say is Z- Zinedine Zidane was, you know, a huge player that has had success at Real Madrid, but lately has not. Uh, since he came back to the club, really, they've not been in good shape. Um, just uh, so that that's an issue there. Ronald Koeman hasn't really been great as a former player, new manager either. You know, I, I think he did okay at Southampton, didn't do great at some of the other stops he's been at. I don't think he's doing really great at Barcelona. Um I, so I, I don't know. I think, th- I think there might be something to it where, you know, um, the thing is like Gerard is doing a good job. He's a good player. Um, but also right now he's untested. He's really just in Scotland, um, which is a different level. So, uh, and we've had, you know, players over here that have been former managers that have been uh, managers that are former players over here that have done. Okay. Um, but yeah, I just think it's this kind of movement recently of all of these big stars becoming managers where it might just look like they're struggling more because we've had so many of them within the last five years. Yeah, it's just interesting because, I mean, it just seems like it's not working anymore. I don't know. I wouldn't hire a former player <laughs> at this point. It just doesn't seem smart. 
I, I think if you were to hire a former player, I think I would always have to go with a player that was not a player at the club that I am uh, like the owner of. Because I feel like that's where you get into this. Fans then have to kind of take a side on club or player, right? Like I saw a lot of people that were angry at Chelsea for firing Frank, but Frank wasn't getting it done. And they kind of had more allegiance to Frank than they did the club. And it kind of becomes this weird thing because he, that person was such a big player for your club. They're intrinsically tied to your club. So you feel like supporting them is actually supporting the club because they were a club legend. And then it becomes this whole like web of, you know, craziness, you know, <laughs> where you're like, which what, you know, like I love Frank Lampard, but he wasn't doing well for Chelsea. So they, they had to get rid of him. And I understand that. And I think Frank understands that. Um, and uh, I don't think he was ready for it, but, you know, obviously he's not going to turn the job down when it's the club that you, you know, grew up at your whole life pretty much uh, and played at, at a high level and they need a manager. And you're like, Oh, this is a way to really kickstart my manager career. And it just didn't work out that way. But who do we have uh, today for us here, Logan? Yeah, so we're actually going to be previewing the Colorado Rapids. I'm um, pretty excited about this one because just doing some research, I, I think it'll be a fun show. Uh, our, our guest is going to be Matt Pollard. He is going to come on and talk a little bit of Colorado Rapids, uh, and I'm sure he'll give you some insight onto where to find his stuff. I know he covers them locally. Uh, he also covers LA Galaxy, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So he is well-hearsed in anything um, soccer, I guess. So it's just you know, I, I think it's going to be an interesting interview to just see. I think this is the first team that we're previewing that really has some true upside to it. Um, one that, if they improve off of last year, become one of the better teams in the league. So I think this one's going to be a lot of fun. Fun indeed. So let's go ahead and take a short break, and then we'll welcome them onto the show. The Stateside Soccer Show, talking the beautiful game in the land of the free. Breaking down Major League Soccer, U.S. Men's National Team, and more with Logan and Jordan. Hello, and we are back from our break, and we are welcoming Matt Pollard uh, from covering the Colorado Rapids onto the show. How are you today? I'm very good. How are you, gentlemen? I'm happy MLS will be back in two months' time. Yeah, I can't. Oh, yeah, exactly today, right? Isn't it uh, 17th? Yes, April, yeah. April 17th. That's yeah, no, awesome. Yeah, we're good. We're, uh, we're, we're warm. I actually, I'm warm um, uh, down here in Florida, but uh, <laughs> can't say the same about the. We, we've been talking to a lot of the guys in Houston and in uh, Austin because we just did previews for them. and some of that stuff that they're encountering is not something I'm used to, which I know is not the same in your guys' regions where you two are. Yeah, absolutely. We got um, Denver didn't get shelled too much with snow. It was very, very cold though. I think at one point, I think we had a low of negative seven last week. And then we had, um, I think three or four days last week, now that we're talking um, in which the high was single digit Fahrenheit. So certainly some cold frigid temperatures. I guess on the good side, um, the high country's been getting shelled with snow. So, you know, we still got hopefully that that takes us through to an end of some good spring skiing. But then I look forward to turning the corner and getting the summer and hopefully that'll include uh, 
you know, getting dethawed at some point. My toes are still pretty cold. <laughs> I'm up here in Maryland, and yeah, we're about to get another like five to eight inches supposedly of snow here uh, tonight. So we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah. So uh, if you wanted to kind of tell people here, our listeners, uh, the when when you started covering the rapids and where people can find your work on the rapids. Sure. So my name's um, Matt Pollard. I'd say I've been covering soccer as a credentialed member of the press going back to 2014. Um, my first time in the press box um, at DSG Park was in 2016. So we're going into what, uh, year number five that I'll be a credentialed member of the press. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at LWS Matt Pollard. I am the site manager for Last Word on Soccer, which is the North American soccer subset of Last Word on Sports. And I'm uh, the red part of Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red, an independent Colorado Rapids podcast. And from what we can tell with a few of our other co-hosts who are having some things go on in their lives, we might be the only independent Colorado Rapids podcast uh, regularly occurring in 2021. So check out HTHL and uh, Last Word on Soccer. Wow, yeah. Uh, So just from my history here of the Rapids, I've been uh, an MLS follower since probably like avidly since 2009. Uh, I did go to the 2007 MLS uh, Cup that was in D.C. when uh, Houston beat New England Revolution for the second straight time. And uh, the first season I really started paying attention like on TV was around 2009. And uh, then 2010, the Rapids won MLS Cup against Dallas when you could still play West teams in the final if you're a West team. (laughs) before uh, everything kind of changed there. Uh, Since then, though, uh, it's been kind of an up and down uh, time for the Rapids. Um, Last year, uh, kind of finishing uh, pretty decently in like fifth place of the West, making the playoffs, having some good young players uh, in the squad as well. Uh, But just uh, what were the expectations going into last season for this team um and did they surpass expectations or was it uh kind of like uh meeting expectations so the the expectations for 2020 if we're talking about going into it when we still thought that 2020 was going to be a normal year right um both in life um and certainly in american soccer was that the team was going to be competitive for the playoffs obviously the 20 it it seems ironic now but you know uh Holding the High Line made a uh, 2019 Colorado Rapids Bizarro season t-shirts. Um, and certainly uh, 2020 showed up and told the 2019 Rapids season to hold its beer and watch this. <laughs> so, but uh, in principle, the objective was could they compete for the playoffs and then could they make the playoffs and could they do that? Well, having Robin Frazier both progress as a head coach now that he was getting back to being a head coach, progress with his tactics and his ideas about the game and the roster building, and ultimately have the young kids um, take step forwards. And I would say on the whole, given the circumstances that befell the Rapids throughout calendar year 2020, all of those were achieved. They made the playoffs, um, even if we want to count and, you know, the LA Galaxy supporters who might have been complaining about um, the fact that uh, the league went to points per game as opposed to point totals. Even if you did the table based on point totals, the Rapids still would have been in the playoffs despite playing five fewer games than most of their competition 
in the Western Conference. We saw Cole Bassett arrive on the stage, and now there's rumblings about not if, but rather when he will be moving to Europe. You combine that with Sam Vines taking a step forwards um, and the Rapids doing a good job of kind of cultivating this veteran mentorship core on one part of their roster with the young up-and-coming core of players who they have from homegrowns, draft picks, um, and players who were distressed assets in other teams that they've done some really good business within the league. All of that happened while they made the playoffs. Granted, it ended ultimately in disappointment because I would argue probably one of the worst games that the Rapids had certainly starting was that playoff game against Minnesota United in which they lost by a score of 3-0. But given all the circumstances, given everything that could have possibly gone wrong, given everything that was that so Rapids to the extreme about 2020, um, it was mission accomplished. And now it's just a matter of can they take us another step forward in 2021? <clears throat> And I think it's interesting because you, you spoke to a bunch of names there that I was getting ready to ask you about. Um, one in particular that really just catches your eye is Cole Bassett. Um, can you speak a little bit to his game? Uh, he's a very talented uh, young player. I think he said 19, um, which, you know, it, it's, it's this young wealth that the United States seems to have. And him coming up through the ranks is just really impressive to watch. I was watching some highlights back from what he was doing last year and even in the playoff game and stuff, he, he just looks so controlled with the ball. He seems like he knows where he wants to go in that midfield and, and seeks out passes that, to be honest, the poise that he plays with is beyond his years as a 19-year-old. Can you speak a little bit to his success? I mean, what, what, where does he come from and, and how does he become so successful in this league? Yeah, so I, I completely agree with you. I think as much as Cole's made progress throughout every single year in his time with the Rapids, going back to signing as a homegrown um, in summer of 2018 when Anthony Hudson was in his first year managing the club, you know, we'd seen him take steps forward. We'd seen him get a little bit more playing time, do a little bit of bet job, passing defensive work rate. Obviously the physique at that point when he had signed with the club, he was still, you know, I don't know if he was done with puberty or done with his growth spurt, but he was certainly growing into and getting used to his adult body. But certainly in 2020, he took so many steps forward in terms of the mental component of the game in terms of how he was thinking about it, um, situational awareness, spatial awareness, and when and how quickly to make decisions. And that kind of coupled with, you know, there was almost a running joke amongst everyone who cares about the Rapids of what role Cole Bassett was going to fit into. And I had a, I made a joke with him right before um, the uh, team's play in games got a bunch of canceled. This would have been like that right before that San Jose game that was the last game they played before they had a month off with all the games canceled due to COVID. And I had asked him, you know, I said, you know, Cole, like you're fitting into the sort of 10 number eight. When we talk about it with Robin Frazier and he talks about the three-man midfield, it's Jack Price at the six. Kellen Acosta's fit in as the other number eight, but he's more of a defensive number eight. So you could think of him as a slightly six-ish eight and then Cole Bassett as a slightly 10-ish eight next to him. And I kind of asked, you know, is that, was that a position that, you know, you wanted to play that you went into the coaching staff saying that you wanted, or they just kind of fit you in and, you know, it was a square peg into a square hole. And he kind of joked about how, you know, Matt, at some point you're going to write an article with timestamps for every single time somebody in the media has asked me what my favorite or preferred position is and kind of talk about the evolution. Cause he came in and was, Oh, I could be a number six. I could be a Regista. Then it's, Oh, I wanted to be box to box. So it's kind of every single year he's kind of moved forward um, partially out of necessity, partially about how well he's played. And in that he's added another skill to his skill set. Um, and certainly what we saw in 2020 was a player who can make really, really quick decisions, who could get the ball 
in tight spaces and play out of it and ultimately help to create offense. I wouldn't say he's a traditional number 10. He's still very much part of a, a link-up play in which there's a lot of fluidity, whether it's um, Diego Rubio playing as a false nine, whether it's the wingers being very, very mobile, Eunice Nomley or Jonathan Lewis trying to beat the offside trap. But he fits in in terms of the build-up play of what they're trying to do. That's coupled with a couple late runs into the box on set pieces and from the run of play to where he's gotten a couple goals. You know, he and Johnny Lewis tied for five goals for the team last season. Um, and then you also combine that with what he's done from a pressing standpoint as he's continued to improve his fitness. So I think we thought that for the longest time, I think the, the question was Sam Vines and Cole Bassett were the two best homegrowns ever talent and potential wise to come out of the Rapids. And it was kind of a question of when and how one of them would assert themselves as the more dominant um, or, or the one with the more potential upon which we're, you know, hanging hopes on. Um, and I think right now pretty much the consensus is I'm not sure when, but both of them will play in Europe at some point for me. And if not, it's going to take Tam, Young Money, um, and eventually a DP roster spot in the case of Cole Bassett if he achieves his potential for them to be one club players with the Rapids. But I think in terms of potential, in terms of going to a bigger club and a higher transfer fee, certainly, you know, a year ago this time, we would have said, yeah, Sam Bynes is no question. And now it's not a matter of if, but rather when Cole Bassett does that rather than Bynes. I was going to say, it's really interesting. Just, I mean, just following uh, the trajectory of his career uh, is simply just amazing to watch just because he does, he's got Europe written all over him. You just see how successful that he can be controlling a midfield. And you're right. I was watching some back, some highlights and stuff. And he does, as the season goes on, become more physical in the midfield. He becomes more confident. And I think with that, he just gets better and better, which is scary for the rest of the league. Cause I'm not sure they've seen anything quite like it in a long time. Absolutely. Uh, so I just have a question there. Uh, we, it was just reported in January that uh, the trade with FC Dallas for Barrios uh, and just want to know where you think he fits into this team. Uh, and also with, uh, you know, have you heard any rumblings about a striker now that, you know, Kai Kamara left in uh, September to join Minnesota? Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll address Barrios first since that was the first part of your question. Um, I would anticipate Barrios to come in and be one of the veteran wide players that you have. Um, you know, we saw him be a little bit versatile with Dallas. I kind of think with you know Eunice Nomley either being um, plugged into the same position, obviously doing different things than Cole Bassett when he's in the midfield three, and when he wasn't in there, he was on the right wing, which makes me think maybe Barrios is playing a little bit more on the left or we could see you know we could see certainly rotation at that position in ways that I don't think Robin Frazier will with a lot of other positions you know barring yellow card accumulation or injury you know Jack Price is going to play every single game this year starting as you know the central holding midfielder and wearing the captain's armband but um, you know I think in Barrios they have one of the elite elite assist man and chance creators who's proven in MLS. He's 29 years old. So he's still not, you know, um, you know, he's not over the hill. Granted, that's going to be coming. And he had 21 assists last year on a really, really good FC Dallas team that at times didn't always have consistent play from the center forward position. And so I think that's really what attracted the Rapids to getting him getting him with, you know, just an international roster spot, I believe, you know, didn't have to give up another player was also something that they wanted. And now, you know, they have in amazing depth at the winger positions, but also I wouldn't say any one of the five or six players you could argue could play either a left wing or right wing 
for Robin Frazier. They're all very, very different players. You know, Eunice Nomaly, he's going to get the ball. He's going to dribble and then try and cut inside. You know, Marco Barrios, you know, has a little bit more pace about him. Jonathan Lewis is going to be very direct, um, you know, trying on the counterattack. Brian Galvan, you know, is Mr. Techers. And so they've got a wide variety of players who can do different things in that position. And I think Barrios adds a component to link up play and then lots of chance creation and dangerous service into the box that previously they didn't really have from a wide role outside of Eunice Nomley. I think it's an interesting question and I don't know that I have an answer as to, you know, who's starting and who's playing regularly because they brought in Brian Galvan last summer. You know, he's now acclimated to altitude. He's acclimated, um, hopefully speaking English um, a little bit better since he wasn't much of an English speaker when he showed up with the club, but you know, they've got a lot of veteran players who can do a job and are much more consistent and more proven in MLS at the same time for the club to ultimately progress financially. And in terms of success on the field, Jonathan Lewis is going to have to play more regularly than he did last year. Brian Galvan is going to have to get integrated. And so Robin Frazier has an interesting problem in that whether it's, you know, the players that I mentioned or Anishinashiki, if he's not going to be, um, you know, backing up Diego Rubio. You got a bunch of guys who want to play, who all do different things. And how do you keep them happy without, while also making them have progress as players and also getting results? Um, and then to the second point of your question of getting another striker, um, I do not see that happening. Um, if you look at any of the past comments that Frazier, Pork Smith, the general manager, or any of the other people at the club have sent about Diego Rubio and what they want, in a false number nine. He does a lot of other things other than score goals that the club really seems to value that he fits in that role. Andre Shinyashiki is cut from a similar mold. I think if they were going to make a move, given how far they moved up in the draft, um, they would have done that to pick one of the, you know, more traditional number nines who would have been available. So, um, you know, maybe they find somebody from the USL or something as a backup, um, or maybe they promote one of the academy kids, but I don't, I don't see the Rapids at this point splashing cash really anywhere. And I think they're very happy with Diego Rubio. I think despite some of the constructive criticism um, around him, uh, not to pimp my own work guys, but um, a couple of weeks ago holding the high line, uh, Rabbi Mark Goodman and I had an episode entitled the great Diego Rubio debate in which we spent about 30 minutes discussing um, Rubio's role, how it could evolve, what expectations are for him. Is this a right move for the club? And ultimately can the team be a perennial playoff team with a guy who does a lot of things really well with the exception of score goals for a team that at times had trouble scoring goals last year. Yeah. So you were speaking to the draft. Um, and, and I think you got probably the most talented, if, I mean, definitely the most talented player in the, in the super draft. Um, Philip Mayaka, who is from Clemson who drafted overall uh, third. Um, he's a great story coming out of Kenya. Uh, he's becoming probably, uh, or he'll become one of the best talents in that rookie class. Um, reading up on scouting reports, he gets real physical in the midfield. They actually switched him at Clemson from more of that traditional uh, attacking midfielder to more of a defensive role in 2020. Uh, he was up for one of the top players in the nation in 2019 with Clemson, um, arguably the best talent to come out of the draft since you know in a long time. How do you think, you know, with all that depth, I mean, it seems like it's just clogged in the middle there uh, with so many options. And it seems like he, that Frazier just does a really nice job of rotating them in and out and getting them time. How do you think uh, Mayaka kind of shifts into that? Is he going to get some playing time? Are there some matches that he can 
get in there for, or are they going to just develop him? Because Fraser does tend to, I mean, it seems like he really develops young players pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think to, to your point, you know, um, you know, I was speaking with Forrest Smith before the draft and he said, you know, we really wanted to trade up in that move to get the, when they, the initial trade to move up to sixth in the draft the, that they bought the um, pick that the natural first round pick that Chicago fire had the goal was, you know, can they, find somebody who's a GA player. They really wanted to get somebody who is part of the GA class for, you know, a bunch of reasons. Um, you know, GA players are about the closest thing you have to getting a homegrown. And obviously you're free to actually select them rather than develop them out of your academy um, rather than coming from college. And so they wanted one of those. And then it was kind of, a, okay, well, which one do we want? And where do we think everybody else is going to be? And I think as soon as Mayaka didn't go number one overall was probably when the conversation started with Houston to move to three to actually select him. So in that regard, it was an absolute steal. If you're talking about a guy who every single person who knows about college soccer had him going number one overall and Mayaka one fell to three and number two, wasn't even the first central midfielder taken off the board um, was an absolute steal for the Rapids for a club that has a very strong recent history of moving up, of identifying a guy that they want, deciding where he's probably going to fall in the draft and then moving up to actually select him. If you're talking about moving up um, two years ago this time, um, all again with the Chicago Fire to get Andre Shinichiki, who was Rookie of the Year in 2019, and then even last year switching um, with Montreal, if I remember correctly, to get Jeremy Kelly to back up Keegan Rose from there. You know, just another good bit of business to get Mayaka. To your point about what Mayaka's role is, I think absolutely he will play. I think one of the issues the Rapids had last year, you know, they could rotate um, what they were doing in center midfield because they had four center midfielders. So as I talked about, even before getting Michael Barrios, they had a number of options in that front three of who they could play and rotate squad. And even with all the fixture congestion that you had, you know, Rubio could start one game and then get subbed out in the 75th minute. And then Shinichi could start, the second game of a week and then Rubio could sub in for him and then they could figure it out from there. Whereas, you know, you look at the drop off after, you know, Cole Bassett and Kellen Acosta as the number eight, Jack Price as the number six, you know, it's Colin Warner who, you know, was a decent backup player for Minnesota at times. He can fill in and do a job. He's not going to make any big mistakes, but there's, you know, a clear reason why he's making close to the league minimum right now. Um, you know, and is a guy who sits on the bench for, most of the time. So getting a guy like Mayaka who can play in a couple different roles in the midfield, even if it's just the third game um, in eight days, you know, depending on what the schedule looks like this year, that he can, you know, take 30 to 40 minutes off of Jack Price's legs if he's, you know, had to play, you know, four games, you know, 90 minutes in the last two weeks. Same thing for Kellen Acosta. I think the other big question that you have from a midfield depth standpoint, you know, as we're getting into, you know, next month we'll have Olympic qualifying if the U.S. makes it to the Olympics and the Olympics actually happen, then I think there's a good question of, okay, is Kobasa gone for Olympic qualifying? If they make right. the Olympics, is he gone for Japan? Mm -hmm. And does he work his way into, you know, maybe one of the preliminary squads for some of the World Cup qualifying? So you could be missing a guy for a significant amount of time. In addition to Kellen Acosta, who had a really good showing um, in the friendly the U.S. played a couple weeks ago, um, and he could potentially be gone for the Gold Cup. And so if you talk about just the drop-off between those three starters, and, you know, a few guys who are decent bench players, but, you know, I wouldn't want, um, I, I wouldn't want Nicholas Mosquita starting every single game in the Cole Bassett role and expecting him to produce as much as Cole did last year. Having a guy like Kimmel Mayaka who will want those minutes, will need those minutes, 
and can be versatile. Um, and you got him on a GA contract is, you know, fantastic bit of business for the club in the short term and in the long term, especially if somebody comes in and, you know, gives an offer that the Rapids can't refuse transfer wise for Cole Bassett post Olympics. I was going to say, watching that friendly, and Jordan and I were texting back and forth in that friendly, going absolutely nuts, just because, I mean, the three players that were in it, I mean, they were your guys. They are guys that were mm-hmm. playing extremely well. Sam Vines, Jordan and I were having a love fest over Sam Vines. We thought that he was brilliant. And, you know, not watching a lot of Rapids because we're on the East Coast. We, we watch a lot of the East Coast teams. We, we see a lot of that. And he's a union fan, so um, him watching that um, – it's just amazing to see the talent that he has, the talent that Acosta had. I thought Lewis had some lightning runs that were just phenomenal runs, puts two in. It, it, it just, when you look at that, you're like, okay, this team, uh, you know, looking at Colorado has something in their midfield uh, that is special. And, and you know, I, I think when they talk about that traditional striker, I, I'm not sure they really need it. And, and I think that's what, you're kind of speaking to I think that they create enough that if they can just get guys on the end of balls um, obviously if Diego plays a little better um, like he did in 2019 and returns to some form I think that you're looking at a very very special midfield um, and then an attacking uh, presence uh, because you have that that left back that is just so so good. Yeah absolutely no um, I think the if I think about like what was the ideal situation in terms of both how those three players performed on the whole of the camp and then also the performance that they had in the actual friendly, you know, albeit against, you know, a Trinidad and Tobago team that had, you know, a very non-ideal circumstances in terms of them being competitive. But to your point, you know, I look and I see, you know, the, you know, with the shift that Sam Vines put in, he had five or six moments doing various different things in different phases of play that were at the peak of what we saw from him for the Rapids, but it wasn't always consistently there for the whole of the 90 minutes. But at the same time, what the role that he was given for that particular game and how we've seen how Greg Berhalter wants his fullbacks to play in the case of playing in a back four is very, very similar right. to what Sam Vines did and was able to step up into in 2020. And so in that regard, there's not much change in terms of what Robin Frazier is going to ask of him and what Greg Berhalter is going to want to see from him and so that was that was great to see I thought Kellen was you know his usual self you know he didn't do anything particularly spectacular but he was a tempo setter as I snapped my fingers there um, I don't know if you heard that on the mic of just being a reliable number eight you know every you know you don't really notice he, every single time he right. gets the ball or does something it's like oh that was a really nice play he doesn't <laughs> yeah. jump off the field right. but you know if, if Kellen Acosta right now you know who was like he was out of the national team a year ago this time you know and I think right now for him is he just shows up and he shows that he can be on the same level as some of the other guys at this point like you know if if the only role that Kellen Acosta has going into World Cup qualifying and potentially knock on wood the U.S. actually making it to guitar if the only role that he has is Weston McKinney hamstring insurance I think that I think that you know that's not going to be an area of concern and I was texting my co-host Mark Goodman um, after um, after Lewis put in that first goal, and we had been wringing our hands throughout 2020 of Jonathan Lewis, spectacular, both with New York City FC and the Rapids off the bench. You want him as a super sub at altitude, 17th minute, the Rapids need a goal. He can absolutely do that. Not always consistent when he's starting the game and typically would fade throughout games. And in particular, if you look back at the – playoff game against Minnesota he has the first really good opportunity fifth minute 
maybe seventh minute and he doesn't put it in and the camera pans to him and he just kind of wilts emotionally just knowing that that was a really good opportunity. He fades throughout the rest of the half. And I want to say halftime, maybe by the 60th minute, he had been subbed off. And so just to see him in the same way he has that killer instinct as a super sub, have that as a starter and then do that at the beginning of the first half and then also in the second half. If he does that for the Rapids, this guy's a starter and he will be on the World Cup squad come 2022. Uh, Logan just alluded to it there that I'm a union fan. So I just wanted to get the Rapids take on uh, two of our former defenders that are uh, over in Colorado now with Keegan Rosenberry and uh, what's your opinion on, on him? Uh, has he been serviceable uh, as a right back? Cause he kind of had like a hot first season uh, in Philly and then kind of a sophomore slump and then also Austin trusty, which I feel like the union moved on pretty quickly from him because they had McKenzie and Jack Elliott as well. So just wanted to get your perspective on those two players. Yeah, um, Keegan's been great for the Rapids. I think he really secured the right back role when, um, you know, it was a real position of weakness post um, Marlon Hairston leaving the club 2017, 2018. If I'm not mistaken, you know, he was, um, I, I can't remember, if, uh, he was not an Iron Man in the case of the Rapids um, this past year, but in 2019, played in all 34 games, played 90 minutes, was super reliable defensively. We haven't seen the same offensive bite from him. Um, throughout his time with the Rapids, at least from what I noticed from afar of what he was capable of um, with Philadelphia. And I would say if there's any, you know, if, if the Rapids are going cockeyed in terms of one of the fullbacks overlapping and the other one staying a little bit um, more back defensively, it's normally Vines going forward and Keegan, who's normally staying a little bit back. But, um, you know, he's been a reliable defender. He's been absolutely secure in that position. Um, and he's also served as a good um mentor for um, Jeremy Kelly, who was a rookie this past year and had to step in for him from a couple of cases, um, one in the case of an injury, um, the other being uh, the first two games of the MLS's back tournament as Keegan was one of the first uh, Rapids players to test positive for COVID. So um, nothing but a consummate professional, well-liked by the, by the coaching staff and someone who's been reliable. And if the Rapids are going to be a really good defensive team, Keegan Rosenberry's play is going to be um, a big part of it. Um, Austin Trusty was a, uh, you know, was a, it was a confusing and frustrating situation for a lot of Rapids fans this past year because I think he came in with a lot of fanfare. You consider the transfer fee, bringing him in, um, you know, the potential that he had with the national team in the same way as Kellen Acosta when he arrived um, in 2018 and just thinking it's like, okay, this is the other starting center back that the Rapids have. Drew Moore is going to come in and mentor him through all the way. And Trusty didn't really start. And then eventually, you know, it was kind of secured that it was going to be Lalas Bubakar as the physical, you know, aerial threat um, on both sides of the ball for the Rapids defensively. And then Danny Wilson, um, you know, as more of the, the quarterback, the organizer, and the positional um, awareness and playing out of the back center back. For the Rapids and it's just trusty never really got on the field that much he didn't get a consistent run of games and from my sense from a performance standpoint um, in training from speaking with Robin Frazier and a few others it just it wasn't always there at the same level um, so I'm really curious to see what 
2021 looks like for Austin Trusty. You know, hopefully it's more normal in many ways. Obviously, he'll be adjusted to um, being in a new environment. He's conditioned or, you know, familiar with altitude at this point. And he's got a bunch of really, really good center backs around him to the point where even if he's not playing, you know, Drew Moore can take him aside and give him one little tidbit. Robin Frazier, a former defensive midfielder, a former center back, can certainly have him make progress and improve as a player, even if he's not playing regularly. But, you know, I, I, I agree with you there, man. Um, it was frustrating that the expectations of what they were for Austin trustee in 2020 and the fact that they weren't achieved and it wasn't really clear. There were a bunch of reasons why it wasn't there. And I think if the Rapids are ultimately going to make progress, um, you know, and, and improve and be an MLS cup contender, which is, plausible I don't know if it's likely in the next coming years I think it's going to have to be with Austin Trusty achieving his potential rather than Drew Moore and um, Danny Wilson um, filling in for him as veteran center backs yeah, and speaking to the defense I mean it seems like that back line I was going through some stats that I found that were just interesting um, the the they're they're in the bottom half, I mean the bottom three or four in the league and just that defensive uh, pressure in the in that final third, it seems like they have a hard time in the defensive third at times. Um, and, and I actually read an article, and not having watched them a ton, obviously, um, it was it mostly that center back position because it does seem like the other three were mostly serviceable. I, I think it 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 kind of has like a feel to where people were blaming just not having that fourth defender to really lock things down. Was it part of the problem? And, and then I guess building onto that question. Is Philip Mayaka somebody that's that could maybe cover that defensive midfield? Because I, I feel like it that Price at times is more attack minded than he is defensive. Um, what's your take on that? And then just you know what what was your idea of how that defense played? Was it mostly that left or that left center back position, or was it uh, just a combination? Um, I'd say Logan. I'd say in terms of the the defensive breakdowns that were happening, I wouldn't mm -hmm. say it was down to a particular position so much as just the the organization behind it not being really really good. Um, gotcha. You know, I think um, I think certainly um, COVID and the inconsistent training, particularly for the veteran players, was a little bit disruptive. And right. that's not to make an excuse, but you know, Robin kind of commented on a few times subtly last year, he's kind of Belichickian in that he tries to say things without saying them directly is just, they didn't right. handle, they didn't handle the, they didn't handle the layoffs as well as right. other teams. Did. And then after crashing out spectacularly in the MLS's back tournament that like last week of July, first couple weeks of August, they didn't really handle that well. And you kind of saw it with them coming back and, I think their first game back, I believe, was a home game at DSG um, against RSL, and they scored like in the first 10 minutes and ended up losing 4-1. And just it, it wasn't there from an organizational standpoint. Um, granted, Clint Irwin had gotten hurt and had a concussion issue in that first game, and MLS is back. William Yarborough was stepping in for the first time regularly as a goalkeeper, and it just it took them, you know, two months of regular training, regular games, and incremental improvements in order for them to get organized defensively. I think it was somewhat coincidental that the way that they were that the way that they were being broken down defensively just had that left center back at times drew more more so Danny Wilson being kind of the you know they were the last line of defense to really prevent something but you know at, at that point 
you know, defensively, it's a huge fire. The reality is Jack Price could have made a tackle to prevent the fire from starting. You know, a wide midfielder could have pressed somebody down. One of the fullbacks could have done something. It just, when you look at it at the end, it looked like Danny Wilson was way out of position, but because four or five other things that had gone wrong before he actually, you know, had a chance to affect the play in a positive way, which ultimately he didn't. But that was something that the Rapids improved upon. Um, and then, of course, they get on a really great run of form, and then they have COVID and don't play a game for a month. And then they come back and get shelled by Sporting right. Kansas City, and that feeds the narrative that everybody loves because um, of Danny Wilson's connection with Anthony Hudson and obviously fans not liking um, that time um, in the club's history. Um, and then to the point of your uh, – the question about Mayaka in terms of a defensive side, I, I echo your point that Jack Price has done a lot of really good things as a number six, but for someone who came in and had a bunch of hard tackles, was getting some yellow cards in his first couple of months in the league, you know, there's not really a – there's not a, a Sam Cronin, a Pablo Mastroeni, a Diego right. Chara player in the back in that midfield. You know, Kellen Acosta will make a tackle, but at some point, like, somebody has to get stuck in. Somebody has to be willing to take a yellow card and win the ball back. Mm -hmm. And just that that tenacity at times has been missing from the team in terms of the middle of the park. Um, Acosta can do that in moments, but I wouldn't say it's his greatest skill set. Um, either for club or for country for that matter. And while it's something that Jack Price can do, I echo your point that a lot of what he's better at is from a leadership standpoint, from a GISA standpoint, um, from the run of play, and then certainly all the work that he's been doing the last three or four years with Chris Sharpie, the assistant coach on set pieces, has been fantastic. But the, the Rapids are missing a, a little bit of bite. Um, Mayaka might be capable of being that. I would say Colin Warner, who we mentioned earlier, is certainly capable of that. But that's something that you know, has been a weakness at times, usually the Rapids are able to, um, at their peak, I would say, they've been able to overcome that with overall good back play from the back four organization going back to William Yarborough, who's probably the loudest keeper in Rapids history that I can remember, um, and then just everything else that they're doing. But um, certainly there will come times, there have been times in the past, and there will come times in 2021 when somebody just needs to make a hard tackle and then kind of stand up, you know, get shoved and take a yellow card for it. And other than Jack Price at times, nobody's really doing that with regularity in the midfield. So you've, you've talked about him multiple times and uh, Robin Frazier. Um, I was watching your guys on the YouTube channel of Colorado Rapids. They had the, like the documentary kind of thing, like Sunderland yeah. saw I die. I really like that. I, I love what clubs do that. It gives you a nice insight. And then in August, back in 2019, when he takes over, he gets in front of the team and he says, this is team ball. This is what we play. It's that team mentality. And I do think that Colorado, after reading a lot of stuff, uh, going through highlights, going, I watched a couple of their MLS back uh, extended highlights and they really do believe in that team mentality. Can you just speak to, and this is basically his second year. He had that little leftover stint of 2019, but this second year, um, do you think that Frazier is the guy that can, can take this team back to that dominance that they once had um, and, and get them back to like, an, uh, uh, you know, the, the supporters winning the Supporters Shield or winning um, the playoffs and going all the way to that final? Do you think it's somebody that is in place that can have that leadership? Absolutely. I'd say on pedigree, um, he's the second best, second best coach in history with the exception of Gary Smith. And obviously Gary Smith's biggest contribution um, to date as a club coach was certainly winning the MLS Cup, you know, 10, 11 years ago um, with the Rapids. Um, I think he's a really, really good people person. I think he's done a really good job with the mentality and the club culture. It was already, I would say decent, I would say recovery 
delivered under Connor Casey, interim head coach. It was not healthy at all under um, Anthony Hudson. But just in terms of Frazier coming in and saying, like, there's not a bag e- bad egg that we have in the group. It's a really amicable group. And right now, I don't have to do a whole lot to create the culture. I just have to point everybody in the right direction. You know, and to your point, um, apologies for the Rapids River pun, but he got everybody rolling in the same direction uh-huh. at the end right. of 2019. And I think if, if it was any other, with, again, with the exception of um, Gary Smith, and I would say Connor Casey, just because he had been with the club for a couple of years as a coach at that point, put any other previous Rapids coach in, in with the team, coaching the team in 2020, and that completely falls apart. I think one of the most underrated coaching jobs of 2020 was just Robin Frazier just having the team together to the point where like they just didn't completely slump away after that five nil drubbing they had against Kansas city after a month off for COVID they could have easily have faded and they battled. I think they had a midweek game against Minnesota after that game. Um, and you know, they lost that on a late um, <clears throat> own goal by Lala Sabubakar. It should have been a one, one draw. And they come out on Sunday and they beat Seattle Sounders um, and absolutely hammer them through one. And they get a gritty win against Portland Timbers to clinch the playoffs and then beat Houston as well. So Frazier's done a really, really good job from a man management standpoint. He is very detail oriented and runs these coaching sessions in a way that players enjoy them. Players get a lot out them. And if they have to run a little bit over time, it's not something that, you know, other, other than, you know, pandemic and that timing related to something that's a particularly a big issue for them. They enjoy breaking down film. Um, and so I think the, I've heard from a couple of different people, um, both around the league and certainly within the organization who said like, this is a hired where like, this could be the Rapids, Peter Vermees potentially. And this is a guy who could be here for a really long time. He wants to be here. He's happy here. He enjoyed being in Colorado, being in Denver with the Foxes prior to MLS um, playing with Marcelo Balboa. And then certainly he enjoyed his time as a player. And so I think he is, um, he's what the club was looking for from an ethos standpoint. And he is exactly what they needed both from a tactical standpoint and from a humanity standpoint. And in that, I think the Rapids are in good hands for, you know, however long his contract um, runs out at least. I was going to say, I just, I was so impressed with him. Just why I think the city embraces him, the, the players embrace him. It's so important in this day and age to be a player's coach. Um, just because I think that the way that he comes in and that first, seriously, if, if nobody's watched it, I highly recommend going in and watching the Rapids, just that those behind the scenes kind of thing. Because when he takes over, I love the question that uh, Andrew Wiebe and David Gass had on extra, uh, extra time pod. And they said, they were, they were talking to him and they asked Frazier basically, you know, how does somebody take over a club at this point in the season? What, what, you know, what are you changing? What does that philosophy look like? And he said, wait, are you talking about now? Or what am I going to look at, you know, going forward in 2020? And they, they go, no, like, you know, just tell me what's the philosophy now. And he goes, these play. And that's when you, that's when you were talking about where you, you know, I echo that where you said that he was talking about, Hey, you know, you just got to point in the right direction because this team has got guys that just play together that have that, um, willingness to just compete and grit together. And, and that's what he liked about the club when he stepped into that locker room in August. Retweet. Nothing more than I can add to that. Right. <laughs> it's fantastic. Guarantee a uh, great list and, and watch if you want to go watch that on the Colorado, Colorado yeah, that's, Rapids uh, that's YouTube. That's the, uh, the, the Elevate series that you yes. can find on YouTube. Love it. Yes, it's fantastic. All right. Well, I just have one last question here, actually, uh, kind of talking about um, – what are the expectations for 2021 or what would be a good season for the Rapids in 2021 is 
uh, you know, finishing fifth like last year, but making it further ideal or, uh, you know, because the Western Conference is usually pretty tough. Uh, and, and now we're adding another team to that. Uh, but what do you think is a successful season for the Rapids uh, this season? Um, I think it starts with certainly them getting back into the playoffs. And I wouldn't necessarily say that they have to win a playoff game, but I think certainly um, from a narrative standpoint, I think I can see a lot of comparisons between what happened uh, for Minnesota United from 2019 into 2020 and the Rapids from 2020 into 2021. So if we back up Minnesota 2019, they, you know, they were opening up a new stadium. They had not made it to the playoffs ever. And then they made it to the playoffs. And there was so much work and so much effort that went into that, that at that point, it was almost like making the playoffs for them was their final. And then they get, albeit a little bit smash and grabbed by the LA Galaxy, I think 2-1. And I think Zlatan had two assists, if I remember that correctly. And I've heard from, you know, I've, I'm good uh, buddies with Jeff Reuter. So I'm talking to him constantly about what's going on with the loons and just kind of the feeling around the club was just amazing, like spectacular bitterness. And just like the, that sucked, you know, getting to the playoffs was awesome, but then having it end so quickly, just kind of completely killed the buzz. Um, we want to get back here. And that was a motivational, both a learning tool of what did we not do in that game that we needed to do? How could we be better prepared? Let's comfortably make it to the playoffs to the point where that's a stepping stone to where we want to be rather than actually the accomplishment itself. And you saw, you know, other than, you know, them getting Seattle by Seattle in the Western Conference final, we could be having a very different conversation about Minnesota United and what they achieved in 2020. Kind of similarly, you know, the Rapids were celebrating. It was fantastic for them with everything that had gone wrong. But, you know, they won that game against Portland Timbers. Uh, Kellen Acosta comes off the bench and scores an absolute cracker of a goal to get to the playoffs. And kind of once they got there, you know, they faded a little bit and the performance wasn't there and that same tenacity um, and, you know, uh, showing up big in little moments wasn't there. And some of the players faded. Cole Bassett didn't have a great game. I talked earlier about how Jonathan Lewis met, um, missed a spectacular opportunity. And ultimately the, the quality and the experience of we've been here before, this isn't a big deal. We're here to do a job shown through from Minnesota United and ultimately, you know, was reflected in the scoreboard um, being three nil at full time. And so I looking at this from the standpoint of, you know, Jack Price after that game was absolutely gutted. He said, I'm devastated. This is the worst that I've ever felt after a game, I need to be better. We need to learn from this. We're going to learn from this. We have to get back here. Um, was so happy that we can make the playoffs as disappointed as I was happy that we didn't do anything and we didn't, you know, show up the way that we needed to. So I think for the veteran players, they're going to reapply themselves for 2021. I think that was, that game was one of many good learning lessons that Cole Bassett and Jonathan Lewis are going to take further step forward. So, um, you know, I don't know that I'm saying that the, the successes, first of all, I think, yes, they have to make the playoffs. If they miss the playoffs, I think barring selling multiple young players for more than $10 million in transfer fee and then just not replacing them in time, playoffs should be the expectation and should be the standard. But I want to see more of a performance. And, you know, if, you know, they go from in a year losing to Minnesota United 3-0 to having to play an away game, let's say, you know, at the bank with fans, if we're assuming post-pandemic and LAFC are back to what they were capable of doing and they lose the game, you know, 1-0, 2-1 in extra time. And it just comes down to Carlos Vela making a spectacular play that nobody on the Rapids was going to play. Then I think that's progress made. And then it's okay. We can build on this even further. This is a multi-year project. Robin Frazier's in it for the long haul. They do want to win a second MLS cup, um, but they understand that it's going to take time. And there's a number of things um, 
you know, situationally upon which the Rapids can't make that a quick or an easy fix. Um, but certainly make the playoffs and then have a good performance in the playoffs and then do that while continuing to improve the squad and having the young players continue to take steps forward both for club and for country. I think that's the expectation and the standard for success that the Rapids should set for 2021. Well, thank you for coming on, Matt. And uh, uh, we hope to have you on maybe uh, sometime later in the season, a little check-in, see how uh, the Rapids are doing. Yeah, absolutely. This was fun, Jordan. Thanks for having me. All right. And that was Matt Pollard from Last Word on Soccer. You can follow him at L-W-O-S. Matt, M-A-T-T, P-O-L-L-A-R-D on Twitter. Uh, he is also at Rapids96 Podcast for the their podcast, Holding the High Line. And uh, yeah, it was it was great to have him on. Uh, what do you think about the uh, the interview? And then I'll ask you your thoughts on the uh, on what stuck out most. But just on the interview as a whole, how 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 do you think it went? I like it. Uh, you know, I was excited about this team reading and, and watching highlights and watching some games back. And, and from what I remember in MLS back, um, you know, watching them, I, I was excited to try to cover them. And then you had the success of the three in the, um, in that friendly against uh, Trinidad. So I was excited just reading through that. And, and I think that the interview was really good. He's fantastic. Uh, I loved having him on. He was so knowledgeable about the Rapids, about, Everything that is involved with the Rapids, he's obviously very connected to the community, um, which is cool to hear because he gets perspectives from players, coaches, GMs, people outside of the organization looking in. Um, but no, overall, it was great. I, I learned a ton about the Colorado Rapids, and um, I got quite a few takeaways from it. So that was that was really nice. What did you think of it? Yeah, it was great. Uh, you know, as somebody, like I said, so, you know, my history with the Rapids goes back a bit with, um, uh, you know, from when I first started watching the league and they won MLS Cup in 2010 and they had, you know, the, you know they had Quincy Ameriqua, they had uh, Connor Casey scoring goals. And it was just, you know, they weren't even favored in that final, I believe Dallas was. And I was rooting for Rapids because they were the underdog. But, uh, you know, but since then, nothing really you know, and they've had some of these young players, uh, you know, coming through at times. And uh, now it seems like they actually have a solid base to kind of move forward with. And I also want to, you know, I, I asked a question, I'm sure everybody just heard it about uh, two of the former union players just wanted to get their perspective because, you know, we usually see these things from the perspectives of uh, our fan bases, you know, so, uh, you know, right. Uh, I was devastated when Keegan Rosenberry uh, left, even though he had kind of a down year, um, you know, but it is what it is. Ray Gaddis was still doing well and he still fits in that right back spot. So uh, I became surplus of requirements, uh, you know, uh, at, at that point. So then Austin, uh, uh, Austin trustee, he was a homegrown Philadelphia union player. We were all excited about him, but, he never really fit in the way that McKenzie or, uh, you know, uh, Jack Elliott have, have fit in there uh, in the center backs spot. So moved him on too. And, it, you know, the union got something for those players and it made it, you know, good moves. Uh, so it's interesting to see their thoughts because, you know, trustees first season with the team was this year uh, or 2020 and he only made eight appearances and five starts. So, 
uh, it was interesting to get his take on that. Um, ultimately, uh, you know, Robin Frazier, he's been around the league before. He, he's coached um, Toronto, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he's just uh, a coach there. Uh, I think he was with Red Bulls at some point. Does that sound right? He's an assistant coach, I believe. Because I was reading, because he's had success um, in the assistant manager role. Because I know that. He oh, was... I remember him from. This is going to sound so. I remember him from Chivas USA in 2011. Oh, yeah. He was there two years. <laughs> That's 20. a defunct team now. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I do remember him from Chivas USA. Uh, and yes, being an assistant at Toronto. I'm glad to see him back, uh, you know, getting another shot. And it seems like he's doing really well with this Rapids team. And, you know, I, I look forward to seeing them, uh, you know, put on a, a put on a good show. It's always nice when these smaller market teams uh, do well. That's yeah, part of the, what the league is structured to be. You know, it's not always going to be a L.A. or New York team winning it. So uh, I'm, I'm excited for the season. I, I do think – it is going to be tough for them to actually improve league standing wise. That Western conference is just stacked. Uh, I think, you know, for me, and this is somebody that's not a Rapids beat cover or fan. I think even making it a little lower, but then actually winning a game or two in the playoffs would be a really great season. And I think that's probably more online on what's going to happen than finishing fourth or third and moving on higher from fifth. So uh, that's what I see. What were your kind of takes takeaways from it? And uh, do you think you see an improvement for this team going forward and uh, like league standing wise, and then maybe winning a game or so in the playoffs? Yeah. So uh, this was something I was thinking about today. And then he brought up a really good point that it, I mean, it, I should have thought about, but I didn't. Um, the fact that Sam Vines and Cole Bassett could be sold off uh, and this team would have to try to recover from two of the best players, um, you know, two of the best players in the Western Conference, I think. I mean, when you realistically look at it, how the trajectory of Cole Bassett and how good he can be and how good he looked at times, um, to lose him to Europe and then maybe to lose you or, you know, Sam Vines to Europe, um, those would be huge losses. Uh, if one of them got hurt, again, I think that's another point that he brought up that that the – you know, the, the defensive depth back there is not necessarily the best. They do have some veteran key people that back up, but I don't think they've got confidence in some of those center backs that he was talking about because they just, it seemed like a very, it's like a revolving door back there. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think it, you know, I think they finished better last year than maybe they should have, uh, I guess, you know, they played less games. So, uh, you know, that's pretty impressive to get that many points. Um, they played really, really well last year. You would hate for, you know, some kind of slump to come in uh, off that, you know, second year, basically, that Frazier's going to have with this club. Um, it'll be interesting to see, but I do, I think you're right. I think with the talent of the Western Conference and with all these teams getting better, it seems, um, for the most part, I, I think you're going to see a team that is going to be fighting for that, you know, five, six, seven spot. Uh, and again, anything can happen in the playoffs, especially in those one game uh, send off ones that just, you know, can end it, you know, ball bounces the right way and the, the team gets eliminated from it. But yeah, I, I think you're, you're spot on with your um, prediction. I think that it'll be a battle. I think it, teams know that they're good now. Um, so I think that also brings in another aspect of teams targeting them because they were a playoff team last year. So 
they're going to get a lot more focus this year than I think that they were used to last year. I do say one thing, though. The, the one thing that I, that I think is important to understand um, is the fact that they do play in Colorado. Um, I, I read that multiple places. Uh, there's a reason why they don't press as much. There's a reason why it, it seems like they're not as intense. It's because, can you imagine playing in that altitude uh, 90 minutes? Uh, I mean, you've got to be in incredible shape. So I think that's another thing to look at. That being said, if they were somehow to get one of those top four spots um, and, and get home field advantage, that's something that could seriously play to their advantage if they could get home games in the playoffs because playing in that altitude is no joke for any sport. Sure. And I think one thing we have to look at that's impressive about them having so many points from less games is also the fact that the three group stage games in MLS is back count it towards the regular right. season. And they only got one point out of those three. And they felt so that means the rest <laughs> of the games, yeah. they had to turn it on. And actually I remember people thinking them of being a really good dark horse for MLS is back. And then that kind of breaking, you know, pretty quickly there uh, just because of how young the team was and having Robin Frazier as a coach and their improvement. Um, but yeah, so the, the fact that they played what 18 games, and uh, yeah. three of those games were MLS's back games where they only got one point. So then they right. had to get more points from the remaining 15 games. It's just really impressive. And if they can continue that going in this year, uh, it's going to be good. But they do lose, Kai, uh, you know, Kai Kamara. I know they lost him in September. Uh, but, you know, when Kai Kamara's on, he, he's on. And uh, there's sometimes where he, you know, creates locker room issues, et cetera. But... <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, he's jumped around from almost every team in the league at this point. Um, but, you know, just losing that out and out striker. And then, you know, it sounds like they're going to be going more with two false nines, uh, you know, uh, that they're going to be playing more false nine type structure. Uh, we'll see how it goes. You know, we've seen that be successful at high levels. And we've also seen that not be successful when uh, the players just not up to par. So we'll see how they handle that. Uh, I do just want to say San Jose signed a right back while we were doing this. Yeah, he, he signed the, the – is it the – he's from South America, right? Argentina? Uh, yes. he, he's yeah, worked with Almeida signed him this before. Morning. Yeah, they signed him this morning. Uh, the team released it because they've been – so everybody go on San Jose's Twitter at night because they release like, oh, we're signing somebody. And then did you see what Minnesota's been doing? It's hilarious. So the other day yeah. they posted uh, – on Sunday they posted the word Monday. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So people went, and then nothing happened. And then, yeah, yesterday it said Tuesday. <laughs> so they were just, you know, messing with people. But, I, I mean, I think it's kind of cruel, but it's kind of funny, too, because one day I think I think they're doing it on purpose to drop something eventually. But, uh, you know, I, it is funny. But I did see that news this morning because Nick Lima out, and they're replacing it with a guy that many of the Quake Epicenter people said that they don't feel like – like he's a starter but not – a replacement uh definitely a step backwards uh well what some people are worried about is the fact that a lot of almeida's signings yes. that worked with them before have not been performing as well right. as uh even super draft picks or other signings his well, name is luciano to... uh abacasis yeah it sounds like that's how you pronounce it yeah so uh there you go they you know what though i, I am happy for them that's better than that's better nothing. than nothing. It's better than <laughs> yeah. Tommy Thompson Tommy back there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. you know, uh, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you want to follow Matt Pollard, we will have his links in the notes as well, just like I just stated what his 
Rapids Twitter was, uh, but we'll put the link for that and the link for the Rapids podcast Twitter handle in there as well for you. I think that wraps us up today. Uh, we are hoping to have some Dallas and LA Galaxy coverage for you in the coming days here as well. Uh, that'd probably be next week at some point. But uh, we don't have those lined up yet. We do have people. We just don't have dates yet. So just stick around for those coverages. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Stateside Show, Instagram at Stateside Show, Facebook.com slash Stateside Show, email Show at gmail.com. And we did pick a winner for the Timbers jersey. They've been alerted by the time this episode has come up. So uh, if you're listening and you did enter, just you know check your direct messages uh, if you have not responded back to us yet. Uh, and we will catch you all next time. Tomorrow throwing his body in. It's going to fall for Ibrahimovic. Oh, come on! Come on! Thank you for listening to stoppage time soccer show we hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the u.s men's national team americans abroad mls usl this is stateside soccer show presented by stoppage time soccer show have a good one